0: My friends at Interlochen Public Radio in Michigan produce a biweekly narrative podcast called Points North, in which they discuss the land, water, and inhabitants of the Great Lakes region. They recently posted a piece with a direct connection to Chicago. Those who appreciate a good Mayor Richard J. Daly story will love it and kindly have allowed me to share it with all of you. Enjoy.
1: The plane touched down on a Tuesday afternoon. Crowds of Chicagoans gathered around, cheering, waving flags. Then the door opened, and there he stood. The
2: Japanese emperor, who was then Crown prince Akihito, he was
1: 26 years old, so just a young guy. That's journalist Christian Elliott. Decades after Akihito and his wife landed in Chicago, Christian reported on their trip for National Geographic.
3: At the White House, a glittering
0: state dinner with the President and First Lady playing hosts to Prince Akihito of Japan and his Princess Michiko.
1: It was October 1960. The Prince and Princess were on a whirlwind tour of the U.S., from Honolulu to New York to Washington, D.C. For this occasion, Princess Michiko substitutes for the traditional Japanese Komodo, a Western evening dress. They were there to celebrate a century of U.S.-Japan relations. And they only had 21 hours in Chicago. I mean, the prince is like meeting with the governor of Illinois, and he's meeting with the
2: then-mayor Richard J. Daly. They go to a fancy dinner, they're in a fancy hotel. But the whole time, what Akihito really wanted to do was
1: visit the Shedd Aquarium. Akihito, like his father before him, was a bit of a fish fanatic, and would later become a published scientist on the subject. And he just wanted to see some fish he had never seen before. So Prince Akihito and Chicago mayor Richard J. Daly took a trip to the aquarium. There's
2: these photos of Akihito like with his business suit on and these like giant glasses, and he's just staring into fish tanks at the shit aquarium. And Daly decided to give him 18 bluegill as like a gift of friendship because they were the Illinois State fish. In some accounts, at least, he scooped the fish out of the aquarium tank at the shed himself and gave them to the prince. And the newspapers were super proudly saying that the fish would go home to the Imperial Pond in Tokyo.
1: And Akihito did almost exactly that. He read a goodbye speech, packed up his fish, and went home. But what happened when he got back would change the underwater world of Japan forever. This is Points North, a podcast about the land, water, and inhabitants of the Great Lakes. I'm Dan Wanshura. Today we look at one species the Great Lakes exported, Producer Ellie Katz follows 18 Little Bluegill from the Windy City to Tokyo. That's right after the break.
4: Support for Points North comes from Cherry Republic, celebrating Northern Michigan's tart cherries with products like jams, barbecue sauces, chocolate-covered cherries, and more. Online at cherryrepublic.com. And Aspire North Realtors, bringing real estate professionals together, supporting their involvement in the community, and advocating for the industry in a sustainable way. Online at AspireNorthRealtors.com Out of those 18 bluegill, 15 survived the trip to Japan. And people were pretty excited about them.
3: So in the beginning, uh, in the 1960s, bluegill was uh, celebrated.
4: That's Katsuki Nakai. He's the retired curator of the Lake Biwa Museum in Shiga Prefecture. He studied fish in Japan's Lake Biwa for over 30 years, Including bluegill.
1: At first,
3: uh, we tried to establish a technique of aquaculture for bluegill.
4: For a while, it seemed like aquaculture, trying to raise bluegill for food, might work. The fisheries agency renamed bluegill the Prince Fish in Akihito's honor. But after a few years, it became clear that breeding them wasn't viable, so they gave up the project.
3: In the latter half of the 1960s, bluegill was almost forgotten species.
4: But Katsuki says something really started to change in Japanese culture in the 1970s. American-style bass fishing became incredibly popular. Largemouth bass were introduced to ponds across the country, and bluegill were introduced alongside them as their bait.
3: So both fish established almost nationwide distribution and became very popular target of fishing.
4: Largemouth bass thrived and decimated native fish populations. In Lake Biwa, some native fish species completely disappeared, but as the bass finished off every last morsel of their favorite foods, their numbers started to decline and bluegill seized their opportunity. With fewer bass to prey on them and with a less picky appetite, bluegill numbers exploded. Like largemouth bass, bluegill pushed even more native species closer to the brink and threatened commercial fisheries. In Lake Biwa especially, that's a problem. Because Lake Biwa isn't just any old lake. It's almost like a Great Lake of Japan. It's the country's largest freshwater lake and one of the oldest in the world. Several fish species there are found nowhere else. But by the early 2000s, in certain areas of Biwa, 90% of the lake's fish population was bluegill. And bluegill aren't the only ones who've moved in.
3: Now, in Lake Biwa, we can find many North American species like bluegill, largemouth bass, red swamp crayfish, and American blue frog.
4: Katsuki says the underwater world of Lake Biwa and almost all Japanese freshwater ecosystems have been Americanized. And all across Japan, they're trying to slow or entirely reverse what's happening. Andrew Kostadovich has seen these efforts firsthand.
2: In Japan, the Ministry of the Environment has this big list. It's like the worst invasive species list. It reminds me of a criminal list. You know, like a wanted list almost.
4: Andrew studies the environmental history of Japan through sport fishing, specifically American sport fish introduced to Japan, like bass and bluegill. He says many of these species are seen as invaders, waging a war on Japanese ecosystems, and that people have come up with all sorts of ways to get the message across, ranging from toys and a vending machine.
2: And you get like one of six different invasive species Uh, little miniatures, and it has a red circle with a slash, you know, like the stop sign.
4: To the shores of the lakes themselves.
2: You know, there's particular, uh, like, trash cans sometimes set up by prefectural governments uh, on the side of lakes that, you know, if you catch a foreign species, you're just supposed to throw it away in this trash can to be disposed of.
4: There are Japanese laws that make it illegal to have these animals. And for a long time, fishermen on Lake Biwa could earn a bounty for hauling in as many bass and bluegill as possible. A lot of these methods seem to have worked. Bluegill numbers in Lake Biwa are far lower than they used to be. Here in the Great Lakes, we do a lot of the exact same things to stop invasive species, and then some. Electric shock barriers to prevent invasive carp from entering Lake Michigan, pesticides to kill sea lamprey, divers to scrape zebra mussels off by hand, We're right to worry about some of these new species. Their arrival has fundamentally altered the ecosystems we love, but sometimes we forget we're not the only ones dealing with this. Invasive species are a global problem, from the Great Lakes to Japan and everywhere in between, and we contribute to that problem. But there's this weird thing we do. We talk about these species like they are foreign invaders and we are under attack.
0: It's an invasion from coast to coast. From Africanized killer honeybees in the southwest, to South American nutria in Louisiana, to the spread of the Burmese python in the Florida Everglades, all part of a scary trend. We're trying to catch the worst fish in America, Asian carp.
4: But this little bug is actually an eco-terrorist.
0: It's all part of the never-ending battle with its silent invaders. You make it sound like we're under attack everywhere. We are. Under attack everywhere.
4: There's the issue of this getting tied up with the history of racism and xenophobia in the U.S. That's its own story. And then there's the whole invaders narrative, which gets one really important detail wrong. Invasive
2: species don't really have a will of their own.
4: That's L. Lower. They study how we communicate about aquatic invasive species for Michigan Sea Grant.
2: They're plants and animals and other organisms that they don't intend to be as inconvenient as they are. Uh, They certainly don't intend to, you know, maliciously form battle plans and come over here and, you know, suck up nutrients that native species eat or crowd out other aquatic plants.
4: Elle says casting invasive species as villains deflects responsibility from us. We are the ones who move them away from their home in the first place, and we're just as complicit in changing the landscapes around us. Taking responsibility, though, gets tricky when invasive species hitched a ride around the world on international ships or trendy ornamental plants. But there is one person, one former emperor, responsible for taking bluegill from the Great Lakes to Japan. Akihito. Okay, maybe there's actually two people. Akihito and Mayor Daly of Chicago, who gave Akihito the fish. But Daly is dead, and Akihito is almost 90 now. Yet every single bluegill in Japan... And there are now millions upon millions of them can trace its genes back to those 15 original fish he brought back from Chicago. And in 2007 Akito said he regretted it.
3: 外来魚の中のブルーギルは 50年近く前
4: in this speech, Akito says, My heart is saddened that the bluegill I brought from America 50 years ago have caused such damage to the ecological environment of Lake Biwa. We had high hopes for them to become a new staple food when I gave them to the fisheries agency for study. I'm deeply troubled by how it turned out. It was a rare thing to do. Not many emperors publicly acknowledge their mistakes. But Katsuki Nakai, the researcher at Lake Biwa, says he had this reaction when he heard the apology.
3: Oh oh but uh, it's a history. Oh, uh, nobody predict its in basicness in Japan.
4: It's history. Nobody, not even Akihito, could have known what would happen. Bluegill symbolize something totally different now in Japan. So different that it's easy to forget what they originally were. A gift of friendship. A symbol of a hundred years of diplomacy between the U.S. and Japan that, against all odds, was still going. Even after a bloody war, incarceration camps, and atomic bombs. After all that, 15 little fish managed to survive a flight across the ocean and thrive.
1: That's producer Ellie Katz. Morgan Springer edited this episode. Additional editing from Peter Payette, Michael Livingston, and me, Dan Wanshura. Translation and production help from Frank Walter. Special thanks to Jeannie Shinazuka at Washington State University. Music and sounds by Night Watcher 98 and Blue Dot Sessions. If you like what you hear on Points North, give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, this month only, when you give a gift at pointsnorthpodcast.org, an extra $60 is going to be thrown in on top of whatever amount you give. Support the show. Do it right now at pointsnorthpodcast.org and click donate. Points North is a production of Interlochen Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode about Mayor Daly, a Japanese prince and 18 bluegill. And special thanks to Ellie at Interlochen Public Radio in Michigan. You can find links to all the Points North podcast episodes in the show's notes or just search for Points North wherever you enjoy podcasts. As always, if you have questions about anything covered today or have a different topic you think might be a good fit for an episode of the Chicago History Podcast, send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. There are links in the show's notes to books, documentaries, and other materials if you'd like to learn more about any of the topics discussed on this podcast. Anything you buy through the links, not just this stuff, may earn the podcast a small commission at no cost to you. Thanks, as always, to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages. You can be found at angel eyes art JKS on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. If you would, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and kindly review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend, no, tell two friends. It helps us get the word out and reach new history fans and fans of Chicago get out and explore when possible, learn more about whatever city you live in, and stay safe.